Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is God's word. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me on this day, Lord. Lord, I pray that this, this message of, of our hope and the great appearing of our Lord would bring to those who are grieving comfort, that would bring to those who are struggling with just the miseries of this world, Lord, I pray that they will leave encouraged and hopeful and looking towards you, Lord. And Lord, all this I pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. How you doing today, fam? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> My name is Alvin Weathersby. I'm an elder here at McGav Community Church, and I would just first like to welcome all our visitors. Um, just a few things. If uh, we're going to have the scriptures um, up up front, but you know, we also, if you want to look through a Bible in the back of the bench. You should, well, in front of you, you should see um, Bibles. Um, so feel free to go ahead and use it. It should also be uh, somewhere where you can have notes and also a pen and a paper. Today, the title of my sermon is A Change is Gonna Come. There's a song some of you may have heard of, and it's called A Change. Is going to come. It's by a, a very soulful singer, Sam Cooke. And in this, in the song Sam sings, I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, and just like the river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. The song goes this way for several verses with Brother Sam singing of his life struggle for dignity. And in this song, and there's only a few verses, but he sums up very powerfully like his struggle for, for worth and value and he just knows that it has to get better. He just knows 
that there's a change that's going to come. And this song was written in the 60s. And so this song became a lament for the civil rights movement of that time. But then there's this one verse in the song. And when I hear this song, it it awakens me from my lament and it makes me want to preach. And it goes. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. And so in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his struggle, life is so tough that sometimes you just feel like you just want to go. But he was afraid because he didn't know what was in the sky. He didn't know what was on the other side. But saints, we do. And we know that our change is going to come. We know that there is a day when Jesus will return physically and visibly visibly in glory to the earth, a day when we will enter into the full and final experience of our salvation that was purchased for us by Jesus Christ, a day when we will be with and enjoy God forever in a new city, in a new heaven, and a new earth, where we will be fully and forever freed from all sin, and it will inhabit a renewed renewed bodies and we will be restored to a new creation. Family, a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, lucky I can't sing. <laughs> I might go for it. No. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Now, family, do this hope moves you? Like when you understand that that change that is going to come, the fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord, will return. How does that influence the way that you live your life? Do it motivate you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions And to live a self-controlled and upright life. Do you think about it much? Does it come to your mind often? Do you wait in eager anticipation for his appearing? Does it bring you great joy to think about it? The fact that Jesus Christ is going to return... Can this truth be heard in your prayers? You know, as Jesus taught his disciples, what? Thy kingdom come. And when you lament and when you grieve and when you find yourself anxious, worry, struggling. Does the fact that he's going to come back bring you comfort? You see, that last question, does the reality that Jesus is coming back bring you comfort in times of distress? 
is the issue that the Thessalonian church was struggling with. Over the last few weeks, we've been studying in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we've been following this really wonderful church. It was a young church, and it was a church that we would say was on fire for the Lord. It was a church that received the message of forgiveness and reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ. They received it. They repented. They turned away from their idols. This young church was so excited, so passionate that they didn't hold the truth that they preached it. And they were known in their streets or they were known in their regions all throughout Greece to other believers as a church that was just faithful and loving and hopeful. It's just a reminder that, you know, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be an elder. I mean, soon as you come to Christ, whatever little truth, whatever little grace you have, you go preach that grace. I mean, even if it's just this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You go out there to the hilltops. And when they ask you questions about how that works, you'd be like, I get right back with you. But this beautiful young church, they didn't have a whole lot of knowledge and understanding. But what they had, they gave. But the problem was that you go to Acts 17, that as Paul was there, there was a lot of persecution going on. And Paul, the apostle uh, that had came to minister to them, was forced out. And he was forced out through persecution before he could finish teaching them or fully discipling them or what it is about, about the second coming. And so this young church, and you know as young believers, you have a lot of questions. So they understood the second coming. They understood that he would come back. And they really thought that he could even come back in their time. They were eagerly awaiting for him, but they had questions. And as they continue to do life, and we have to remember that this was a young church that was growing up and maturing in a faith in a very hostile environment. And so what they experienced was not only the pressures of being persecuted for their faith, But then it was quite possible that even some of their loved ones had passed away by the hands of persecution. Or maybe it was just, you know, they died from other causes. But what happened was that they didn't understand what happens to them now. And and so you now you see a group of believers and it happens with all of us. We come to Christ and we're ready to take on the world. We're like Satan, bring it on. We are annoying family members because we are just preaching. We don't think anything could touch us. But then one day God brings that first trial to you to test you, to see if you truly believe. And when they were faced with fallen 
or dying loved ones who had died, who was no longer with them. And we know that this was a very loving con- congregation because what was the word that Pastor Eric used last week? They were God taught when it comes to love. And so they had such an intimate relationship with their brethren. Like when God says we're family, they really lived that. And so when they passed away or when they died, their questions was, what happened? When Jesus come back, would they be with us? Would they miss that event? Would they stay in their grave? Will we ever see them again? We don't know specifically what was it that vexed them, but surely we could see that they were vexed. And so Paul, being a loving apostle with that pastoral heart, writes to them so that they could, with the, with the purpose of to alleviate their grief and bring them a measure of comfort. And so as he begins, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. In the previous chapters, we saw Paul kind of uh, instructing uh, the young believers, as far as practical living, um, encourage them to continue to pursue holiness and righteousness. He gave them a call to sexual um, purity. Um, he encouraged them to continue to grow in their love for one another. Um, he told them to live quiet lives. He told them to work. And so he gives them all these practical um, things to do as believers. But then all of a sudden... He flips it, and he's going to go right into a teaching. He's going into eschatology, and eschatology is the study of the last times. And so he says, when he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, that's Paul's way, and you'll see it in other scriptures, of saying, now listen up. I got something else to tell you. I need you to listen. This would have called their Attention! Not that they wasn't really paying attention, but this would have just got them going, like really beginning to lean in. And throughout the epistles, before we get to this point, there was a couple of times where Paul mentioned the second coming. And so Paul had this ideal of wanting to minister to them about the hope that we have in the appearing of Christ. And so he's building them up. And then we get to this point. And he says, all right, listen up. And he says, brothers, about those who are asleep. He begins by using a euphemism, asleep. And what that means is um, that's a, a dead. That's a euphemism for being dead. And we are used to those type of euphemisms, right? Um, when someone died, you typically hear words like, Departed, passed away, transition. Um, we don't go to funerals anymore. We go to what? Homecoming. 
And what this is, you know, I believe it's our attempt to take the edge off of death because it's an ugly thing. It's unnatural. It's, it's to the world, it just seems final, right? We always, sometimes the most intense moment at a funeral or homecoming, homecoming is when the casket is closed. It's something about that casket being closed to say, that's it. And then oftentimes, when we are dealing with death, is once we get alone that we really struggle with it. I remember when my grandfather passed away, I was, you grieved, we knew it was coming, we prepared as much as you can. Uh, and I was doing good in the beginning because chilling at grandma's house, all the family was there, people was bringing us chicken and spaghetti, lots of chicken, Captain J's, you know, churches, Kentucky, it was just like a lot of chicken, a lot of spaghetti. But praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Fried chicken, you know. There are certain stereotypes I live up to, but I'm going to keep it going. And it was cool because my family was there, we grieved, and it was all, you know, we talked and Stories about my grandfather, we laughed, we cried, we prayed, it was, it was cool. But I just remember that first day I went back to work and I swiped my card to punch in and it just hit me. Life goes on and he's no longer, you know, with us. He's dead. And so Paul comes to them, he wants to minister to them. And he says, for those who are asleep, the beautiful thing about asleep, it is a word that is uniquely used to Christians who have died. This is the way that God thinks about his children when they die. And he, John eleven fourteen. it says, after these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go awaken, go to awaken him. And then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. You see, Jesus was talking about Lazarus had died, but he already knew that this was for God's glory. Because he was going to bring Lazarus from the death. But the disciples didn't get it. They were just like, oh, he went to sleep. He'll wake up. He had a little white castle, got to him, drink some burners. He'll be all right. He'll sleep it off. And then Jesus has spoken of his death. But they, but though that he meant he was taking a rest, the disciples thought that he was just literally taking a rest. Jesus had to plainly say to them, he's dead. You see, they thought about death as just being dead. Jesus thought about death as being asleep because he knew that death was only a temporary separation, that death is not final. One of the smallest verses 
in one of the most impactful verses of scripture is when it says Jesus wept. It's in the same chapter. Jesus wept. That's it. Should have been the memory verse. Easiest memory verse ever. Jesus wept. And why did he weep? He wept because even though he knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man, because he felt emotions, because he understood the, the, just the, this fallen world and how death is such a, a natural thing. He grieved not only with those who was there, but he grieved because Lazarus was the one whom he loved. But when Jesus wept, it wasn't crying and grieving that was void of hope. Jesus wept in hope because he knew that Lazarus would live again. And so for us who are struggling with loved ones who died in Christ, we had a sister just give us a prayer request, a prayer request as she struggled during this holiday season. I just want you to know that we weep like Jesus. We weep like God because we know that death is not a final separation. And so he says to them, so with this being in mind, the Christians shouldn't grieve with no hope. That our hope that when we grieve and even when we just struggle with just life, it should be almost as, as a joy mingled with the grief. And so as we saw like uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr who was um, killed for the faith. And he was being stoned. And in the midst of being stoned, in the midst of being murdered unjustly, he, he looked into the sky and saw Jesus standing. And as the rocks was being piled upon him, as he was being beat, he says, Lord, I commit my spirit to you. And the scripture says he fell asleep. His body was clinically dead, but his soul went on to be with the Lord. And so we have the joy to know that those family members who died in Christ, who died in loving the Lord, that they have gone on to a better place, that they're now in heaven with the Lord. Now, in the ancient world, when they thought about death, it was basically really a hopeless type of thing. It was basically uh, hopes for the living. The dead have no hope or after death, no reviving after the grave, no meeting again. Now, I'm going to tell you, family, I would take the chicken and the spaghetti before I take this type of encouragement. Just imagine you're grieving. And this is basically what the world teaches like. Mm, oh, well. It was fun while it lasted. Now, this is the ancient world. But do we notice in our culture that there's kind of a hopefulness in death? 
I was thinking about a song called Missing You by Puffy, Sean Combs. He's a rapper for some of you. You know, one of the things about this multi-generation church, I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to use this reference, Google it, watch the video. But in March 9, 1997, Biggie Smalls, one of the most illest rappers ever, was gunned down. He was murdered. And his his friend, um, his producer, created this album and just got some of the, you know, top performers uh, at the time to be a part of it. And one of the songs in, that was on the album, and it was a big hit, was called Missing You. Now, I can't sing, but I can recite a lyric. And one of the lyrics that I, I just think really captures the human experience in a very simple way is when he says, it's kind of hard with you not around. I know you in heaven smiling down, watching us as we pray for you. Every day we pray for you. To the day we meet again in my heart is where I keep you, friend. Memories gives me the strength I need to proceed, strength I need to believe. Now, in this rhyme, he talks about grief, right? It's kind of hard with you not around. But he says, I know you're in heaven smiling down. Everybody, you know, whether you're a Christian or uh, whatever, you may not buy hell, but everybody loved them some heaven, no matter what. Right. Heaven never gets questioned. You ever notice that never gets questioned. Everything else would be like mm, chapter scripture, you know, chapter verse. I need to watch a YouTube video. Um, but that being in a better place, smiling down, watching us, right? He, he, he still wanted that connection. He still needed to feel like that relationship is not closed. Like the casket wasn't final. My friend Biggie, our friend Biggie, he is still in heaven and he's happy and he's smiling down on us. And then it was this hope for a reunion, Right to the day we meet again. Now, the question is, what is that hope based on? Well, in the scripture, he says, memories gives him the strength to believe that when his loved one died, all he had was memories. To help him get by. All he had was memories to help him cope. You see, the thing with the world is, is that the world copes while the Christian hopes. Right? They, they're coping with death. They're trying to um, think of all type of ways to take the edge out. But we have a hope. And it's not just a sentimental hope. It's not just based on my emotions, but it's based on something that is concrete. Because I believe even when you can just 
have these false hopes and you could say he's in a better place and you could believe all these other things. But I think sometimes for those who don't believe when they get into that quiet time, you know, they really don't have any, any evidence to believe. And even though they have this false hope that made a really nice song that they grieve hopelessly that they grieve just like the rest. So whether it's a no hope or whether it's a false hope, that is good as no hope. And so Paul continues to minister to them. His desire is to get the faith, their faith, right, on the same page with their emotions. Because again, you know, when we are young believers... Um, when we have an outage in our theology, oftentimes we default back to our old thinking, right, to kind of fill in the void. And it was because they kind of fell into the thinking of uh, the Roman culture at the time of helplessness, hopelessness, they began to grieve just like them. And isn't that a, uh, it's just, it's wow how we can have like this academic knowledge, but sometimes our knowledge and our heart are not on the same rhythm. And so Paul begins in chapter 14. He want to take them back to the basics. Sometimes the best thing we could do when ministering to one another, even ministering to ourselves, is go back to some of those simple truths. And one of the most central truths we see in verse 14. Oh, I hope that wasn't the end of the slides. <laughs> I was right there. Woo, praise the Lord. All right. Therefore, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who fall in asleep. So he takes them back to the beginning, back to the ideal that Jesus died and rose again. That is a fundamental truth to our faith. The fact that Jesus died and God rose him from the grave, the fact that Jesus defeated death is the reason we could believe that those of us who are in Jesus will also rise. We have a very logical faith. And so this is one of those central truths. In fact, it is so central to our faith that if Jesus had never rose again, we wouldn't have a faith at all. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians five seventeen through 19. He says, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ we haven't. Oh, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. And so, in other words, if Christ did not rise, our faith would have been futile, right? As we're talking about asleep, when we say asleep, it would have been just like the world. It would have just been a simple cliche, just a vain euphemism. 
And in fact, that those who have died, they would have actually perished because they would have died still in their sins. And Paul says, if that's the case, we should be most pity, right? It almost would be like the rapper AZ, right? I got a lot of rap in my head. And he says, life a trip, and then you die. That's why we get high, because you never know when we're going to go. Right. As Paul is talking like uh, in uh, Ephesians, where he says uh, he just talks about battling and struggling in an Ephesus and and just gets to the point where like if it like what would be the point of just doing all this fighting, doing all this battling? Paul says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If it wasn't for the resurrection, what would be the point of us moving into this community? What would be the point of struggling? What would be the point of fighting for racial equality? What would be the point of, of, of life, of suffering, persecution, any of those things, if Jesus Christ hadn't risen? But the beautiful thing is we know he rose. And in that passage of scripture where he's saying that God will bring those who died along with Christ, with him when he comes. It just takes our mind back to the point that God, the father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God so loved us. Because God didn't want death to be the final thing. Because he didn't want, he doesn't want us to be separated from him. Because God wants us to be reconciled. He wants us to be, to, to live life. And to live life more abundantly. I know oftentimes that is preached as your best life now. That is a lie. To live life and to live it more abundantly is to first be forgiven for your sins and not face the penalty of your sin, which is death. And then that abundant life is to be able to live like God truly created you. And that is to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart. To truly be human. That's what it is. And because Jesus Christ rose again, because now we have the Holy Spirit, it awakens you to understand like, oh, Jesus Christ I remember, and this is probably one of the reasons why rap always is in my mind, is that on my day of conversion, I was listening to Biggie Smalls. I was listening to uh, him talking about death and just talking about life and really from a very worldly perspective. But then all of a sudden, when Biggie was saying, when I die, I want to go to hell because I'm a piece of crap. It ain't hard for you to tell. Soon as he said that, it clicked in my mind. That I don't want to go to hell. It clicked in my mind that, wait a minute, Jesus Christ, my grandmother, who is now deep in the stages of Alzheimer's, of dementia. She taught me that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I remember at that moment, I got it. 
I got it. I wouldn't have got it if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus rose. I wouldn't know that there was a good God that saves bad people and that I was jacked up and that I was on my way to hell, that I was going to be forever separated for him, from him. I didn't know until then what it means to pay the, that the wages of sin is death. But then I got that the gift of God is eternal life. And so because he rose, because of that guarantee, we can have hope. We can have faith that what God says he will do, he will do. Right. So we know that God and we always celebrate this during the time of Advent, that he will send that promise deliverer. We saw that happen. We we saw the life of Jesus on his way to the cross as he lived this beautiful, perfect life who taught us how to love one another and how to worship God. And he did it to perfection and he laid that beautiful life down. He paid the penalty of sin, one that it would have took us an eternity to pay. But he took that wrath. He died, was buried, but he rose again. And in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ being the first fruit. And that's just a kind of a, um, an illustration um, of when there's a harvest. You had the first fruits. And if those first fruits are good, you know that there's. A good fruit to follow. And so Christ being the first fruit, being the first one to uh, resurrect from the dead, we know because he rose that he will, that we will rise as well. And then in verse 14, it also says God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back empty handedly. He's coming back with those who have already died in him. That's the key, who died in him. And so all those Christians, post-cross, cross, pre-cross, Old Testament, New Testament, those Christians who die just a few seconds before Christ returns, they will be returning as well. And so as they're grieving, like, man, will our loved ones be there? Will they miss this great event? Paul is saying, nah, matter of fact, they're going to be in the front. And so he gives them this word. Now, Paul spent the first couple of verses renewing their mind in the truth. And now he's about to blow their minds with the teaching of how this glorious day will look. And in verse 15, 
It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. And so there's three things we need to understand about this second coming. One is going to be personal. The other is going to be visual. And then is also going to be audible. First is going to be personal. Jesus is not coming as a theophany. He's not sending a messenger. It is him coming himself. Amen. It's going to be personal. Um, oftentimes when we think about um, the rapture, and this is what we're talking about, we think about like, boom, it happens. We get our, res- our resurrected bodies and all that, and we're going to talk about that later. But we think all that kind of happens at one moment. But really what happens is, is that there's going to be Christ descending, coming down the same way that he went up. When he went up, he didn't go like a rocket, just pew, bam, he was out. Right. He went up in a way where his disciples were just like looking to when the angels had to be like, yo, right. The same way he left, he's coming back. And so one day when he comes back, I just believe the world is just going to look up and he's going to be slowly descending down. And it's going to be a very visual thing. I can't wait. I can't wait to see my Savior face to face, and I can't wait to get European Jesus out of my mind. Because <laughs> so often, as black as I want to be, every time I think about Jesus, I got, I got to try to like, no, that's not how He looked, right? <laughs> but also, He doesn't look like some of the images that black folks can draw of Him, where. It looks like there was a GNC in the ancient world. Like, I'm like, I don't know if he was that ripped, right? <laughs> but when he comes down, it's going to be an awe moment. It's going to be a moment where his people are like, oh, he's here. We can exhale, exhale like Whitney from the movie, right? That all that suffering, all the pains, all the denying ourselves, it was worth it. We will be vindicated. All those people will say, you are so stupid to believe what you believe. Now they with us will see. But it'll be a moment of awe for us. But for the world, it's also going to be an awe. But it's going to be an awe snap. It was true. Because when Jesus comes, he's not just simply coming for us. But he's coming as a judge. You know, there's one passage of scripture in Revelation 6, 15. Through 16, it says, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals. Ooh, I'm getting blind. I'm going to take my glasses off here. That's when you know you begin, your eyesight is getting worse when you got to take off your glasses to read and just kind of put it up to your face. (laughs) Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone's slave 
and free hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountain, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? You know, family, I, I think as we talk about like how the second coming bring us comfort, it could bring us joy, that it should also bring us to a sense of urgency to go out there and preach, to preach repentance, because I know we love to care for the suffering of our community, but we also got to be just as zealous to, to care for their souls and to be passionate about their eternity. Because when Christ comes back, all those who didn't bow down, all those who didn't put their hope and their trust in him will face his judgment, whether they're privileged, whether they're marginalized, whether they're rich or poor. Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. The only thing that matters at that point is, did you put your trust in Jesus Christ? And this should give us a sense of urgency to preach like Noah did when he knew that God was going to wipe out the world in a flood. He preached day and night to repent, repent, and put your trust and God. And so on this great glorious day, it'll be a day of great hope and anticipation. It'll also be that moment where God comes to take his throne. And so it's going to be personal. It's going to be visual. And it's also going to be audible for the Lord himself. Well, it says with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. And so you have this sound and it's going to be loud. It's not going to be uh, silent. There's a teaching and that's called the secret rapture where it believes that Jesus Christ will come midway to the earth, kind of rescue his people and then take them away. And then after that, the tribulation will come. Right. But as a lot of theologians pointed out that this is not going to be a secret that is going to be loud. Though he came on a low and only a few people knew of him when he first came, this time everybody would know. And so when we hear the cry, it's, it's the same word used by ships, masters, to his rowers or military officers, uh, to, his, to their soldiers. It denotes authority. In Genesis 1, we saw that God with authority spoke everything into existence. Amen. It's that same authority, that cry. And then it also talks about the voice. It's going to be this loud voice of an archangel. And we don't know what he's going to say, but maybe he would say the same thing when he rose Lazarus up, when he says, come forth. And then there's going to be trumpets. And when they play, that is, the trumpets got many meanings in the Old Testament, but one is celebration and a festival. 
And so we, this, this loud sound is and some believe like it's just going to be like one type of sound. Some people feel like cry voice sound, like all these things would, um, uh, had distinct meanings, but whatever it is, it's going to be loud. It's going to be loud. And when that last trumpet blows, when that loud trumpet, last trumpet blows, then what we're going to see is a resurrection. What we've been longing for. In a twinkling of an eye. Just imagine, you blink, boom. You're in your glorified bodies. In 1 Corinthians... And I think I had that up to cool. In 1 Corinthians, it says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. And so just as Jesus had this glorified body when he raised, we too will have glorified bodies. In the twinkling of the eye, our change will come. When Jesus Christ enters the world, that's the change that we've been waiting for. And when we receive our resurrected body, that is the change that we long for because our bodies now will be imperishable. They will live forever. They will be free from sickness, free from diseases. All those injuries and nits and bruises that you got, they will be gone. Your hairline will come forth. (laughs) Death will be no more. On that glorious, glorious day. And then the scripture goes on to say those of us that are still alive, we are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. You know, the there's a lot of, and I can't really get into a lot about the rapture as far as just the different views. So I really would encourage you to go on the website. We have a, a four-part series taught by Pastor Eric called uh, eschatology and there you'll get more information about um, the end times our thoughts as a church Um, really encourage you to go look for uh, check it out it's a great uh, sermon series but we believe like when a rapture is not about God taking us away from the earth it's about us welcoming our triumphant king down to the earth. Um, the picture that Paul has here is one of, in, in the Old Testament or even in a Roman culture, when there was a conquering uh, army, when an army had left and they came back in victory and they came back um, victorious, citizens would go meet them and they bring them back into the village. And what you have is them partaking in that triumphant entry. And so when Jesus Christ comes back and he calls us to the heavens, is 
us who are still alive are being called up to come with him down to the earth as he makes it. And I don't know if the recreation or become renewed while we're in the air or once he hit the ground. Those facts we don't know. But if we will be a part of that triumphant entry. And then the other beautiful thing about it is that the point of the rapture is a great family reunion. I don't know. One of the things we just had a family reunion this year. And it's always great to meet again. It's always great to have the barbecue, to have the banquet, to do the hustle, to see uh, family members that you haven't seen for a while. I used to love growing up and going to the family reunions because I was a really doofus looking kid. Some of you may say, well, you're not that far from it now. But I remember like the grandmamas and my aunties will make me feel like the they will make me feel like Denzel. Because they'd be like, boy, look at you. You're so handsome. And I'm just cheesing with my grown man teeth and the size of a 10-year-old. <laughs> but it's going to be this beautiful reunion. So Paul is saying, like, you're going to be with your loved ones again. Not only are you going to be with your loved ones again, but most importantly, you're going to be with Jesus. You're going to... Feel the fullness of his joy and to be in his presence forever. Now, as I close out. The last per the last passage says. To encourage one another in this truth. And so all that Paul preached, he says, now encourage one another. There was a passage. That we went over. I think it was verse first 15 where Paul says, I have a word to declare from you from the Lord. And I wonder when Timothy came back to Paul and he told Paul like, hey, Paul, the Thessalonians, they're doing great. They're growing in their faith. They they're loving the Lord. They're loving everything. They're just doing good. You'll be really happy for them. But they're struggling. And I wonder if Timothy attempted, and I'm pretty sure that he attempted to try to ease them and give them some comfort. Because Timothy was a beast, right, with the word. He was like Paul's man. And so I'm thinking when Timothy heard and saw that they were grieving, I'm pretty sure that Timothy went to minister to them. But I don't think it really took. That's why Paul said, let me write this letter. But I, I just think Paul went to the Lord. And say, Lord, what is it that I can say to them to bring them comfort? And I believe that's when the Lord gave him these passages we went by. Because every time the second coming was taught in scripture, it was taught at times of distress. It was taught when Christians, when people were struggling in their faith. It was taught when people needed a, to needed the help to keep going, to keep pushing forward, to remember that change will come. And so that's what we need to encourage one another with. And as I leave you today, we're going to go just really quickly to several moments when Jesus is reminding his people that change will come. In John 14, the disciples were distressed because Jesus was leaving and Jesus reassured them he was coming back. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
You see, family, he told them they were struggling. He was about to leave them. But he says, change is coming. I'm coming back. He gave them hope. First Corinthians 15, the scriptures, some of the scriptures we went into to to help us understand what we talked about. He says in the twinkling of an eye. Change will come. You'll be changed. The whole world will be changed. Family change is what? And in the book of Revelations. After right when John was exiled. In those final chapters, Jesus says, after just giving John this glorious picture of how the new earth and the new heavens would take place, how everything would end. He says in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming. Jesus says, surely I am coming. And what was John's response? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Change is coming. May this encourage you all as you continue to live in an eager, ex- eager anticipation. Let us pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord God, we just thank you, Lord. Lord, you're so powerful, so glorious, so loving. Lord, as you just go, as we go through the scriptures, it's, it's truly that greatest story that was ever told. No one could pen a love story like the one that you have given us. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would just help us live in the reality that you are coming back. Lord, I pray that this reality will comfort us. I pray that this reality will just give us, get us through those tough times, Lord, as we hold on and hope for you. Lord, I pray that in this community, in the 48214 community, that we will be known as a people of hope. Lord, that as we go out into the world and we minister to the people, Lord, that are suffering, Lord, I pray that you would just allow us to be able to share your hope with them, but then also to encourage one another with that hope. And Lord, we love you. We honor you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.